All right. I want to welcome you to the very first Truth in Love live event we have ever had. We are uh, broadcasting this uh, live all over the world right now on Facebook. Uh, and I hope that that's good news to the, to the folks who listen to us uh, online from all over the world. We have uh, people who listen to Truth and Love from uh, 50 countries or more. Maybe it's more than, more than 50 countries. And so we are glad that you get to join us here uh, as we have the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors annual conference in 2017. And uh, the really, really faithful members of the association are here tonight. We have... Uh, I see my mother, Martha Peace, over here, and I realized after Ron Alchin bribed me on his uh, wife's birthday that it's your birthday too. So happy birthday, to, and on behalf of the countries that are watching, I'll say happy birthday to Martha Peace. So we're thankful for you. So Truth and Love is a recorded program. We uh, record those every week and release those, and they deal with a specific isolated topic. The, uh, the vision for uh, the podcast was to have a biblical counseling podcast that didn't always necessarily use the language of biblical counseling, but just dealt with the practical problems that people face and show how the scriptures are relevant for that. And so that's what we have done, and we decided it'd be worth it to take a crack at it and before we knew it, several thousand people were listening every week and then people from all over the world and we were getting emails and all kinds of things about doing various topics and we always hear about the people who want to come to the annual conference but can't come because it's so far away and so a couple years ago we actually replaced the membership event that we always have, uh, that we always had on Tuesday evening with something that more folks could participate in and so we started doing a Tuesday evening event and uh, we've done various things. I interviewed Rose Rosaria Butterfield for one time. We had a concert one time. I don't know what all we've done. And so the staff talked me into doing Truth and Love live this time. And so here we are, and I'm even happy about it. So, uh, so good. I'm glad you're here, and I really am glad for those of you who are watching on Facebook from all over. We're so thankful for you. We are very much aware that ACBC is an international organization. We have members in 19 countries speaking 29 languages, and we are thankful for you and your interest in biblical counseling. I know that many of you are alone where you are. Uh, I hear from people and we hear from people at ACBC who are struggling alone. You're the only person maybe in your country who cares about biblical counseling. I know others of you, maybe you're not in another country, but uh, maybe you're in Montana and if there's nobody within 150 miles of you, that could feel like another country. And so we hope that this is an encouragement to you and we're glad you can join us in the way that you are. One of the things that we are unveiling at Truth and Love Live is this new cover art. So this is going to be the new design for the podcast. So when you go on iTunes and wherever else you go, instead of seeing the picture of that ugly guy on the cover art, you'll see a branch with leaves, which is, well, anything's better than what it was. <laughs> Actually, I'll even tell you a story about that. Uh, when we were going to start uh, the podcast several years ago, I forget when we started it, but when we were going to start it, uh, we were talking with people who do podcasting and who had done it before because we hadn't. Uh, and uh, the consultants that we spoke with said, you, if you're going to have a podcast, it's better to tie it to an individual because podcasts that are tied to an individual do better. And so that was when they made the decision to put uh, my face on the cover of it. But I hated that because number one, uh, I found one person that was willing to marry me. Uh, and, uh, you know, not everybody else. So let's not force it on everybody else. Uh, but number two, this is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. It's not about me. Uh, but then the staff, again, as they are wont to do, uh, prevailed and said, hey, but if the, if, if the experts say the way to do this is to tie it to an individual and we want this to go well, then you better do it that way. So we agreed that we would do it that way for a period and then move away from it. So now this is what you can look at instead of me. So that's new for tonight, and I think that'll be on the podcast from now on, right? It will be. Good. Okay. So we uh, are going to be receiving questions from all over. Can these people tweet questions? They can. Okay. So if you are wanting to submit a question, you can tweet to us. Just make sure you use, uh, you tag us with at ACBC, 
if you are on Facebook, you can just put a comment right in uh, the comment feed, and I have it pulled up, and I'll be reading those as well. We have received a lot of questions, so I don't know how many we'll be able to take, but the good news is this is a weekly podcast, so if we can't get to a question tonight, Lord willing, we'll be able to cover it uh, on a Monday morning sometime. Yeah, let's try to do, we'll try to take what questions we can't get to and use that for, as our reservoir for future podcasts. Let me introduce to you the person who's already started talking, Sean Perrone. Uh, up until yesterday, he was the chief of staff of ACBC, and starting today, uh, he is the operations director for ACBC and uh, is... Uh, I perform surgeries. <laughs> 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 I had not thought about that until just, you've been waiting for that. I just happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he is uh, the operations director in charge of all the ACBC surgeries. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, coordinates the staff and uh, is going to begin running the uh, day-to-day operations that I am not able to get to. So thankful for him. And he is going to be filtering the questions because I can only do one thing at a time. I can't filter the questions and answer them. So That's good. All right. So I have grouped in these first couple of uh, questions into the category of counseling and psychology. Okay. So the first question is, if the Bible is sufficient, then why do we have a bookstore at our conference? Okay. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. (laughs) Okay. Uh, If the Bible is sufficient, why do we have a bookstore? That's, that's an interesting question. Is somebody being snarky? Um, Okay, so that's actually a really good question. Uh, If the Bible is sufficient, why do we have a bookstore at the ACBC conference? And that is because uh, the Bible is sufficient for counseling, but not you. And I mean it. Uh, It is the scripture that is sufficient for counseling, not any individual that is sufficient for counseling. And so this is the reason why the sufficient scripture teaches that there is the ministry of and the gift of teaching. Because I don't don't fall uh, out of heaven. I don't just wake up regenerate knowing everything there is to know about the Bible. I need someone to teach me the truth. And one medium uh, that delivers the truth is in the, the teaching that happens in the written form of books. And so we have bookstores out of the conviction that uh, because we're humble here at the Association of Certified <laughs> Biblical Counselors. And uh, we think we need people to tell us what we don't know. And I need people to teach me what I don't know about what the Bible has to say about things. I need people to teach me what I don't know about the problems that people face. And so, because we are not sufficient, we need people to teach us in the scriptures that are. Good. All right, next is, are there any benefits in psychology that we can use to help the heart restoration of our broken counselees? I can repeat that. Yeah, re- repeat the question. That is a trick question, is what that is. <laughs> I'm just, uh, okay, I'm it's just, a trick, uh, it's a trick I'm not question. a good filter here, I guess. Ask the um, question, so let's hear it again. <clears throat> are there any benefits in psychology that we can use to help the heart restoration of our broken counselees? Okay, so, it's, it's very likely a trick question that the person who's asking the question, can, can you tell who's that? Don't answer. Um, it's, it's very likely a trick question, though the person who's asking it might not know that it's a trick question. So I'm not impugning the motives of the person who sent it in. Um, so here's the short answer to the question, and then, let me, and then I'll have to explain it, okay? So the short answer to the question, is there anything in secular psychology that we can use to help the heart problems of people? The heart restoration. The heart restoration of people. Short answer to that question is no. There's nothing in psychology that can help the heart restoration of people, broken people. No. There's nothing. So that answer is the correct answer, 
But if you don't understand why the question is tricky, you'll think I just said something that I didn't say. Um, So there is nothing in psychology that can help the restoration of a heart struggle because secular psychology does not understand the human heart. Uh, One person understands the heart. His name is the Lord and he reveals himself to us in the Bible and he reveals ourselves to us in the Bible. There's no way, think about this, there's no way a scientist, a secular scientist, and there's no way a secular theorist could figure out what we know about the heart from scripture. Do you see? They could never figure it out. The reason they could never figure it out is because we call it revelation. Revelation is disclosure that until you're told it, you can't know it. You don't, it's not divine discovery. Uh, We don't discover it. It's divine revelation. It has to be told to us. And so psychology can't even understand the human heart. They don't even know it exists. In fact, they think it doesn't. They think we're a pile of chemicals and take two of these and call me in the morning. Uh, So uh, they don't even know it exists, so they sure can't help. Now, here's the reason it's tricky. That doesn't mean there aren't theories in secular psychology that say things that are true and helpful. The issue is where did those theories which are helpful come from? And they came from the Bible that God revealed before the theorist came up with them. Uh, And what the theorist doesn't know is that they did come from the Bible and they figured it out not because they've been studying the Bible but because God gave them this gift called common grace which allows them to know true things even though they hate God. And so every good truth that would really help the heart in secular therapy is a plagiarized idea. The person has ripped off God's idea, not given him credit, and they don't even know to give him credit because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So a clearer question is, will you find true things in psychology that could help the heart restoration of people? The answer to that question is yes, sometimes. And then the necessary question after it is how can that be? Uh, And the reason that can be is because God is kind. And God allows even people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness to figure out some elements of the truth. But what we should believe as biblical counselors is that we can cut out the middleman. We, we don't need the middleman of secular therapy when we have the direct divine revelation of the word of God. Amen. All right. <laughs> Another question we've had that we've received. I'd love to fill in, fill in some details here, but it's in light of recent events, how is you talking about the differences between biblical counseling and integration not speaking the truth in love? Okay. Want me to repeat it? I think I've got it. How is it not speaking the truth in love to draw a line between biblical counselors and integrationists? Okay, so this is a person who sees presumably me drawing a line between biblical counseling and Christian psychology. They see me drawing a line, they see people saying that that's mean and they wonder why it's mean. Okay, well I don't think it is mean. (laughs) Uh, So I think, you know, here's the thing. They're talking about Ephesians 4.15, which is the the text that inspires the title of our podcast, so truth in love. Um, and, and two things are commanded in the verse. You have to speak the truth and you have to do it in love. So there's two requirements for our speech in Ephesians 4.15. There is content and there is method. Content, I have to say true things. Method, I have to do that in a loving way. So I'm not allowed to tell the truth and be a jerk. But I'm also not allowed to be ushy-gushy, but not get to the truth. And so what happens is if you, if you take away either one of those from the equation, then you will get unbiblical speech. And so actually the assumption of the questioner is correct. I don't know what direction they're coming from, but the assumption is correct that if I stop telling the truth, then I will be speaking unbiblically. And so, uh, 
and I don't know if this person is asking from the internet or what, but they've clearly been watching on the internet and there's some fun things to find out about me on the internet. Uh, and if they're talking about what I think they're talking about, not any of it's true. Um, but, uh, but we talked a lot about the heat being turned up on this conference. Uh, faithfully Protestant. We decided 18 months ago that this would be the theme for the conference and we decided 18 months ago what the title of my talk would be for this conference and that I would talk about how in order to be faithfully Protestant you have to be faithfully committed to biblical counseling and if you're not faithfully committed to biblical counseling you are not as Protestant as you think you are and um, we have been working on that for 18 months and then uh, we're going to talk about the disagreements and then a month or so ago a lot of people realized we have some disagreements here. Um, and there was some pressure, uh, com- a, a lot of pressure, uh, that suggested that it would be a good idea for me to back off and uh, let things cool down and deal with all this later. And I just decided, partially because of Ephesians 4.15, that when everybody's looking, if I don't tell the truth about what everybody's wondering about, then I will be the worst kind of coward. Um, and so I don't, look, my wife thinks I'm a nice person. My kids are happy to see me when I come home. The dog circles around and wants to lick me. Um, and, uh, and I like it that way. I don't, I don't want people to think I'm a jerk. I know they do. I know they do. And I, if, you're, if you think I'm a jerk, I probably can't do anything to help you with that. And it's not about me anyway. So the Lord, you just, I'll just have to entrust myself to him who judges justly. Um, but... Um, but you know, if you're asking that question, or if you're hearing that question, and you would come at the question from a different way, and you've been frustrated by a line that's been drawn, um, I would just say, don't. It's, nothing bad's happening when we speak the truth and we do it in love. Nothing bad is happening when we speak honestly about differences. Uh, in fact, uh, just like you know, we we live in a religious tradition of protest. So that goes back 500 years to Martin Luther, who said to one of his opponents, you are a real masterpiece of the devil's art. (laughs) Luther, my goodness, I'm not gonna say, I'm not saying that to anybody, I'm just quoting Luther. And then, but it doesn't, it goes back past Luther to Paul, this is what I was talking about last night, he rebukes an apostle to his face. And, And he got that from Jesus, who walked into the temple with a whip and turned over some tables. And, and we have reformers who call you masterpieces of the devil's art and apostles that rebuke other <laughs> apostles and saviors of the whole world who turn over tables in the temple, not because they are concerned about disagreement, but because they are concerned about error. And if we are not concerned about error, then we will be unlike them and we will be unlike Titus 1.9 that says, you gotta give instruction and sound doctrine, and you've got to rebuke those who contradict it. Not not just rebuke the sound doctrine, rebuke those who contradict the sound doctrine. So I think it would be unloving to be quiet. Good deal, we have several people that um, have, or have, one, one person here has indicated that it's not only heat that's been turned up on ACBC, but they've noticed it in their own ministry. And we have several people thanking us for talking about that. So I'm grateful for that. Praise the Lord. We, we have a question that this is, this was submitted and it, it's, a, it's lengthy, okay. but I think it's really important. So if you need me to repeat anything, let me know. All right. Seven years ago, I was having what seemed like focal seizures. I was tested by two neurologists and was told there was nothing wrong with me. I sought counseling from a NANC counselor who recommended more Bible study and that I should, uh, that I should search to relieve these symptoms. My seizure activity continued and with the improvement of technology and an inpatient week at Dartmouth Hitchcock Hospital, It was found that I have had a brain tumor and a frontal lobe epilepsy deep in my brain. The scans confirmed and clearly showed the medical evidence. Here is my question or concern with your ministry. For seven years, I was told I did not need medication, but that this was a spiritual issue. Hmm. 
How can you really know if something is medical or not? My experience has left me with, a bitter, with bitterness for NANC counseling when it comes to what are perceived, in quotes, as mental issues. Please provide input as our church is considering being a part of your ministry, and I have some deep concerns. I do appreciate your counseling ministry and have seen wise and fruitful results for many. Okay. You believe me. I told him not to take, not to just ask easy questions, and you took that to heart. <laughs> um, okay. So, first of all, I would just want to say to the person who's asking the question, I'm so sorry that you had a bad experience. Um, what, what I can tell you is that there is nobody, not uh, Nank, of course, we, we're, we changed our name several years ago to the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, but that's us. We, we were Nank, and so I'm not distancing. I'm just saying we just updating the language there. There's nobody, not an ACBC counselor, not a Christian counselor. There's no counselor that devotes themselves to these kinds of conversations that wants to hurt anybody. Nobody goes into it thinking, hey, how can I wreck somebody's life and make a seven years? Seven years. uh, Create a seven-year difficulty. So I just, I just want to say that. And I also want to say it's, it would be impossible for me to know everything that happened in this situation. So I'm just going to do nothing but just take that at face value and try to get at what I think is going on there. What, what I would say to you is I'm so sorry that you had not just the difficulty with the counselor, but also with, uh, with just the difficulty in finding out what was going on. And it sounds like you've really struggled under that. And I'm, I'm, I really hate that. Um, does the person say if uh, they're feeling better now? It doesn't indicate that. Okay, I tell you what, I'm gonna, do. I'm gonna pray for you right now and then I'm gonna answer your question. Okay, so Father, I pray for our friend who's asking this question and is uh, seeing this as an opportunity to get help and I pray that whatever's going on in the brain of this person, uh, that you would bring healing and help and I pray that you would surround this person with uh, counselors who love Jesus and love the Bible and love him or her and wanna help and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So let me, let me say that I actually think that... Um, your problem isn't first a counseling problem, but is a life in a fallen world problem and is an information problem. So it, it's interesting, and I'm, I'm not accusing, but, but you went to a medical doctor and the medical doctor did tests and couldn't find anything. And then you went to the counselor and the counselor said it was a spiritual problem and I don't know how they, uh, how they evaluated that it was a spiritual problem but I hope they asked you questions about what the doctor said and you would have been able to tell them that the doctor uh, gave you this information that there's nothing physically wrong. And so perhaps, and I don't know, but perhaps by process of elimination this person just said, hey, it's a spiritual issue. Uh, and so what you had is you had medical doctors and counselors who were both wrong because of an information deficit. And so I would say, really what would be the most appropriate response would be to say, um, hey, my counselor was off and the medical doctor was off. And when everybody had better information, then the treatment got better, both medically and then I hope in counseling. And so, um, One of the things that we believe, in fact, it's an article in our constitution and our standards of doctrine and in our standards of conduct is that as ACBC counselors, we cannot practice medicine. There's simply no way for us to do it. Uh, We have uh, board certified medical doctors who are certified with our association and they will say to you, when I'm in the counseling room, I don't practice medicine. This person is not my patient in the counseling room. They're my counselee and so I'm not gonna practice medicine even though I know how to do that. Uh, And so the the practice of counseling is not the practice of, of medicine, but we are instead dependent on medical practitioners to do their work. Um, And so um, I don't know exactly how I would have handled your situation um, if you'd come to me or how anybody else in our association would have, but there's, there's no way we could have improved upon the knowledge that the medical doctor gave you because we just don't have that ability in counseling. And so I would say just like um, you were thankful to have a medical doctor uh, that had Uh, better information. I would hope that you'd be thankful to find an ACBC counselor that would have more information for you now that all the lights are turned on. Um, If 
if, if my cell phone breaks today, I'm not gonna say cell phones are awful. I'm done with cell phones, forget it. I'm, I'm going to go get another cell phone. Uh, because I don't, I don't think that because something went wrong in this situation, I'm pointing to my pocket because that's where my cell phone is. Uh, I don't think that because something went wrong with this cell phone that all cell phones are bad. And so just because there was a problem with the last counseling experience uh, doesn't mean all counseling is bad. And, and I think the argument for grace especially depends upon the fact that even your medical doctor was limited by knowledge. And so this isn't a counseling problem, it's a problem of living in a fallen world. And God help us to grow in wisdom, God, God help us to grow in knowledge and uh, get all of the best information that we can to help people who are struggling. In that question, she mentioned that her church was considering being a part of our ministry. Mm-hmm. And we've received uh, two questions along the same kind of lines. Uh, this one's from Tim Alchin. He says, where is the best place to start with a new church that is trying to start a biblical, counsel, biblical counseling within their church? And we had another question that's similar. Um, how do you introduce biblical counseling to a church? Uh, okay. Um, so that, that all depends. If you're the leader of a church, if you are uh, a pastor in a church or one of the pastors, then your responsibility and your ability even as a leader is better than if you're a layperson who's interested in this. And so if you are a leader in a church and you want to see biblical counseling happen in your ministry, then call ACBC. Um, if you call our office, you go to biblicalcounseling.com and reach out to us. You can email or call and uh, we will help you. We have training centers all over the country, all over the world. Uh, we have resources within our office that can help you uh, to get started in that. In fact, uh, in fact, Tim uh, leads a ministry that is certified with ACBC and you can find their ministry at biblicalcounseling.com and you can reach out to them. But there are, there are other training centers who could help you with this. And so reach out to ACBC. We would love to connect you with uh, uh, experts all over uh, who can help you know how to do this. That's, uh, that's actually one of the things uh, that the biblical counseling movement in general and that ACBC in particular does really well. We know how to implement this uh, in churches and so reach out. If you're not a leader, and I think the, the other person, it's not clear whether they're a leader or not. If you're just in your church and you would love to see biblical counseling happen, but you don't have decision-making authority, then first of all, pray. You know, we, we really do believe these things that the Bible teaches, that, uh, uh, that the Lord responds to our prayers. And so, so ask the Lord. James says you don't have because you don't ask. Uh, and then... Um, as you have opportunity to counsel well, do that. The best argument for biblical counseling is doing it well. Uh, so counsel well. When you get to be uh, the person with the reputation for helping people with their problems, uh, then I guarantee you there's not a pastor on the face of planet Earth who isn't going to be interested in what's going on. Um, and then uh, the third thing I would say is honestly make an investment and bring your pastor to an ACBC conference. Uh, bring your pastor to a regional counseling conference. There are every single year I meet people on Wednesday nearing the end of the conference that somebody paid their way to come to the ACBC conference and they didn't know why they were coming to this dopey biblical counseling conference, but they got religion by the time it was over. And uh, uh, I mean, so make the investment, bring your pastor, say, hey, I'd love for you to come, come with me, let's go, let's spend some time together and uh, get to know one another and go to these sessions. And uh, the synergy of a conference like this really helps. On a related note, this is from someone on Facebook Live. They are asking, do you feel that promoting certification creates an unnecessary bar for people who want to help other people by making them feel like they are not competent to counsel unless they have received extensive training? There you go. Yes, I do think that. So I should quit. I don't think that. (laughs) I don't believe that. Uh, but I will tell you, I've thought a lot about this question. I don't know if I've ever been asked it publicly, um, but I, I feel the weight of it. So the, you feel the tension. Uh, you, you're a certifying organization that believes in the sufficiency of Scripture, which does not say you need to be certified to do it. 
Is that the that's tension? A, yeah, that's okay. essentially the question, yeah. I think about that all the time. Um, so, listen, I'm, I'm a Bible guy. So, I will not say to you that you must be certified with ACBC to be able to do counseling. I will not say that. I don't think that's true. Uh, Jesus did not tell us to do this. The Apostle Paul did not tell us to do this. Moses didn't tell us to do this. And so I want to go on the record as the head of ACBC that you do not have to be certified with ACBC to do counseling according to the Scriptures. It would actually be sinful for me as a person who believes in the sufficiency of Scripture to say that that is what is required. And yet, I lead a ministry that hopes and prays for more and more people to get certified. And the reason for that is because we live, uh, I think there's two reasons for it. One, we live in a culture where everything that gets said about counseling is defined by its secularity. Everything. I mean, 150 years ago, if you needed counseling care, you went to the church to get it. You had to go to somebody religious. And Sigmund Freud was so remarkably effective that now I spend a massive amount of time going to places and meeting with people and speaking to groups that think it's completely crazy that I believe the Bible is about the problems that people face. I mean, they think, I mean if Freud was remarkably successful, everything's different now than when he began his ministry. Um, and we live in a culture, certainly, I know this isn't the case for everybody, but certainly in the United States in particular and in the Western world in general, uh, the counseling world is defined by secular therapy. And people just by osmosis think that when you have problems and you need help, you need help from a professional. And that professional is someone who's been secularly trained. Uh, and so we've got to have help to counteract that. Uh, we've got to have help so that people get steeped in what the Bible has to say about it because we, we're learning how to do counseling these days in a world where there's a supermarket of crazy atheistic approaches to helping people with their problems. And so ACBC exists to counteract that. And here's a second reality. Um, biblical counseling happens behind closed doors. So if you want to know if somebody's a good preacher or not, you just go to church and listen to them preach or go find the podcast where they're preaching or go online and watch them do it. But there's no counseling podcasts. You know, where do you, I mean, I guess this is sort of one, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't, you can't overhear uh, what each and every counselor is doing. And so... How, do I, how am I supposed to know if you're any good or not? If, if someone I love and care about calls me and says, I need a counselor, well, my goodness, I need to know if I can, I need to know before I send them somebody, are you going to have a conversation with my loved one that is a conversation like what the wonderful counselor would have with them? And if you won't have that kind of conversation, then I don't want to send them to you. Well, so how do I know if I, should send them to you? Well, I think, in fact, uh, in 2012, when the ACBC board asked me to lead this organization, um, they said, why do you want to lead ACBC? And the funny thing was I really sort of didn't <laughs> at the time. I was happy where I was, but, uh, but I was more excited about NANC, as we called ourselves at the time, than I wouldn't have considered leading any other uh, biblical counseling organization, but I was excited about NANC. And the reason I said is because I said, if you asked me, what do you want to see from somebody to know if they're any good at counseling? I said, you know, I would want to see, uh, I would respond to that question by saying, I want to see that they have received good training. I want to see that they have been evaluated to be sure that they understand that training. And I would want to know that somebody who really, really knows what they're doing has watched them do the work and has signed off that they're good. Well, and if you know anything about what I'm talking about, those are the three phases of ACBC certification. And so I don't think that... It, um, ACBC certification is a biblical requirement to do counseling well. But I do think it is the kind of requirement that is very, very important for most people watching this in the context that most of us do our ministries. Um, 
And, and I would even frame it beyond that just evaluative, that evaluative function as an advertising function. So when you go through the ACBC process, you get in the network uh, and you go to biblicalcounseling.com and go to the find a counselor tab and you can type in your zip code or your city. And now all of a sudden I get emails all the time. I don't know where my assistant is, but I get emails all the time. Hey, my sister is in Yazoo, wherever. And uh, her husband wants to leave and they need a counselor. Do you know anybody in Yazoo? And I don't. Uh, But if you go to the ACBC website and type in the zip code in the city, that will help you uh, locate people in your area that know how to have a conversation like the wonderful counselor would have. And so uh, there's the evaluative function, but there's also just service to your neighbor. Let's increase the hope that someone could find somebody that would help them using Jesus in the Bible. This next question comes from Facebook Live, and also we, I got this today here at the conference, and we get this nearly everywhere we exhibit. Um, what are some, if any, differences between ACBC and CCEF? Oh, okay. Um, so there are several different ways to answer that question. Um, let me answer it in a couple different ways. Um, so first of all, There is a historical difference between ACBC and CCEF. Um, The historical difference would be, so Jay Adams in 1968 founds CCEF, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, founds it uh, as a training center uh, for biblical counseling. There's no training centers for biblical counseling back in the 1960s. That was kind of the point uh, of the start of the movement and of Dr. Adams's ministry. And so he started CCEF in 68 uh, to create a place where people could go and get trained according to Nuthetic counseling, as they called it back then. And uh, then uh, by the middle of the 1970s, after they'd been training people for a number of years, uh, they realized that, hey, if this biblical counseling thing is going to be a legitimate movement, um, then, um, then we can't just do training. We have to do some kind of certification. We have to be able to, oh, there you are. We have to be able to do some kind of, some kind of way to establish that these people actually picked up the training. Um, And so let's create a certifying organization. And so they created the National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. Jay Adams and the CCEF board in 1976 gave birth to NANC. And uh, in 1976, when uh, after NANC had been founded by Adams and the CCEF board, they turned around and made CCEF their very first training center that was certified. And so that's the historical difference. And then there's the missional difference. So the mission of CCEF is to do training in biblical counseling. And the mission of uh, now ACBC is to do certification of individuals and of institutions in biblical counseling. So that is a historical difference and uh, a missional difference. There'd be other things that we could talk about, but that's two things. Good. We've gotten this question from two different people. What is the role of women in biblical counseling? To counsel the scriptures. Great. <laughs> uh. were, you, were you wanting me to say more about that? No, no, that's great. Okay. <laughs> Let me say more about that because you're going to get more questions if I don't say more about that. <laughs> They're pouring in right okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but it is to counsel the scriptures, by the way. If it's, you know, but I know that's not what you mean. Um, my guess is what they mean is where is there a place for me to serve or something like that? Yes. Uh, in fact, someone, someone said, are there, are there any roles within the church? Are there any job opportunities? So this, uh, yeah, okay. so that's along oh the same lines. Yeah. All right. So, oh my goodness, yes. So in fact, I have to be honest. I am, to me, I want to use the word desperate. Uh, just desperate for women. Um, that probably. I'm resigning. Well, you've been listening to Truth and Love live. <laughs> I'm going to go write my resignation and give it to the board. <laughs> I want to say I'm desperate for women. I'm going to be hearing about that one for a little while. Here's what I mean. 
The biblical counseling movement is really desperate for women who know how to do this work well. And I would answer that question uh, demographically, or I would explain the answer demographically. So the number one demographic of people who look for counselors are married people. Um, I uh, hardly ever, there might've been a time or two in the last several years when I've made an exception for this, but I hardly ever do marriage counseling anymore without a woman sitting in. Um, my favorite woman to have sit in is my wife, who is the only woman I personally am desperate for, just for the record. Um, but uh, she is my favorite uh, woman to do counseling with, but uh, I'm privileged to work in a ministry location where there are other great women who do counseling well to choose from to have them sitting in there. And, and I don't like to do marriage counseling without another woman sitting in there for a couple of reasons. Number one, the group dynamics in marriage counseling are better when there's another woman in there. Um, when, if, if you have felt um, harmed by your husband, maybe he's committed adultery or maybe he's being abusive to you, uh, and you're sitting in a room with him and this other man, uh, the dynamics there can be uncomfortable for a woman. And so much better to have a woman sitting in the room to just offset some of that. Uh, another uh, thing that I think is important about having another woman in the room is women can say and do things to another woman that I can't do. There have been so many times when you're sitting in counsel. I'm the most physically affectionate person I know. Okay, I'm just telling you, uh, my wife, if she were here, she'd be like, yep, he is no liar. Uh, if my kids were here, I kiss my kids all the time. I scrunch up their faces. I tell them the kisses don't count if they're not wet. Sometimes it's less affection and more an assault. I mean, I'm just like, I love physical affection. It's just, it's my love language. What can I say? And... Uh, uh, <laughs> People love and respect that. Yeah, okay, see? <laughs> we can have some good boundaries. All right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to work out his needs, her needs, but I'm just going to... Oh. I'm just going to keep moving. So, um, but I'm very... Phys- and, and honestly, I... I it just, affection just naturally comes to me. And when someone is feeling sad and broken, my instinct is to give them a hug. But if you've got a broken woman sitting here, there's all sorts of reasons why it is really not a good idea for me to go sit next to her and give her a hug. Um, but if I'm, if I'm doing counseling with another woman, who can go over and give her a hug and sit next to her and put her arm around her. That is wonderful. So I can sort of live vicariously through that person. Um, also, there are just some things that, you know, I might say it to the woman and the other woman sitting in there with me might say it to her, but it's just gonna, it's just gonna be better if it comes from another woman. Um, here's another thing. Uh, if that woman is struggling through the week, there is no possible way uh, for me to go meet with her alone and talk with her outside of the confines of what we're doing in counseling. But uh, the person who's sitting in counseling with me, she can go and meet with her and call her and check on her and there's none of the above reproach stuff that I have to deal with. Uh, so for all those reasons, I wanna say we are desperate for women in the biblical counseling movement because of that number one demographic. The second demographic seeking counseling is individual women. Uh, which I don't, uh, and this is uh, in the ACBC standards of conduct, uh, it's against, it's a violation of the ACBC standards of conduct to count for men to counsel women alone in an ongoing way. Uh, so we do not have ongoing counseling relationships uh, one-on-one with women. Um, but a woman can. Uh, and so the top two demographic, then you got individual men, is the third demographic. So uh, I guess that's all that's left. I guess we get animals if we're doing obedience training, but, um, uh, but uh, because of the top two groups of people that are seeking counseling, really in my book, require women to be there, we need women in biblical counseling. We're gonna move quickly here. Do you think there is a time for separation in marriage other than when there is imminent danger, i.e. emotional abuse, sexual addiction, et cetera, 
And what would be your biblical defense for your position? Okay, well. They're continuing. If your answer is no, (laughs) how would you suggest a woman can be best shepherded when extreme cases arrive, arise and there is much to sort out, but there is not physical violence. So the original question, do you think there's a time for separation and marriage other than when there is imminent danger? And I've got to give biblical support. Yes, they are asking for a biblical defense. Which is more than fair. All right, so I'll just let Jesus have a crack at this one. Um, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse one. He left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Excuse me. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus responds to the question, can I get divorced for, you know, for, or can I get separated um, uh, for a reason other than physical danger? Well, Jesus' response to that is, if God put you together, you're not allowed to separate. Um, So... Uh, now, if, if we were talking about a physical danger situation, we want to talk about a way to keep a woman safe, but I'm just going to let Jesus' words there sink in and go uninterpreted. As far as how the church could help her, what, what she could do, um, you know, I'll just, again, my goodness, um, there's uh, lots to say about all of this, but maybe I'll just read First uh, Peter 3, uh, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, so you know, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, even if some do not obey the word, there's a lot of bad stuff that a man who is not obeying the word can do. You can do a lot of bad stuff. Uh, So this is kind of a fill in the blank. Um, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they, fill in the blank, even if they're doing all this stuff to me that's not violent, well, they may be one uh, without a word by the conduct of their wives. So uh, this is a text that says you be a godly woman. Um, and then that's going to be really hard. And so how do we support such a person? Um, isn't the Bible amazing? Hebrews 10, uh, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a text that's quoted as a preaching passage, go to church on Sunday, be it corporate worship for Sunday. That's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about. It's a counseling passage, not a corporate meeting passage. Um, Consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's a one another passage. You meet in a one another context. It's, it's a command that you have to live this Christian life together. And that's as true for the First Peter 3 woman as it is for anybody else. So I would just say to you, um, you're asking this question out of a place of, uh, I'm sure, profound pain. Men who don't obey the word can do awful things. I would encourage you, Jesus did not stop being loving when he gave the command not to separate what God put together. Um, and in fact, he, he wants to teach you about his grace in the midst of your pain. And I would say sometimes we do things as, as 
people who are experiencing pain and we try to take this way out that's our own way out and we think that that's gonna be gracious and we think it's gonna be gracious because we think it would feel good. But feeling good is not necessarily what grace feels like. Sometimes grace feels like trusting the Lord to carry you through a very, very hard reality and you grow in your love and your confidence in him because he becomes what you need and not this fix-it solution to your relationship. You can't do it on your own though, so get with people who are gonna one another you in this passage and are gonna help you to know what it means to be a faithful woman in the midst of a really, really hard situation. I'm so sorry for what you're dealing with. And I just, wanna, I just wanna plead with you to go find somebody who can help you more than, than I can over the internet. Another question, I believe this is from an ACBC member. Why would ACBC or the Bible not be supportive of trying to go and dig up suppressed memories? And if, they, and if the person can't remember abuse, they need to try to figure out how can they heal, be healed? So it, I think they mean, dig, why would we not want to support digging up suppressed memories to try to heal people who have been abused? Okay. Well, because, you know, I'm thinking about uh, James 1.19, um, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. Is that, or is that James 1.20? I'm confused. I think it's James 1.19. You guys know, what is it? I'm sure someone will comment here and let us know. I'm sure they will. (laughs) I'm reminded in James chapter one, where it says, (laughs) let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Um, And it's it's the idea that before I can talk to you, I need to have heard you. Uh, But I can't talk to you in a way that's helpful if I haven't heard facts from you. And if, a fact is a true fact. <laughs> this, is the, this is the way we have to speak now. But uh, uh, in order for it to be a fact, it must be true. Um, and if I start to help you with things that are not true, um, then, uh, then I actually won't help you. So, uh, you know, there's so much research and so many horror stories of people who, dr- who dug up suppressed memories and it turns out the memory wasn't true. Um, And so what I would, I think I would just answer the question this way. Um, Biblical counseling is not afraid to deal with any fact in counseling, but we have to be very, very careful uh, that we're dealing with facts and not, uh, not, so if if, if you don't remember something and we go and we dig it up, where did that come from? and so I would just say what we're doing is we're looking for facts. Is it the case that somebody can remember something after having forgotten it for a while? Sure they can. Um, but the idea of suppressed memories is fraught with all kinds of baggage of suggestion and uh, you know it, it's not evidential and that kind of thing. So I would just say, hey, we wanna deal with the past, we just need to be sure that we know that those facts, that, that what we know about the past is true and that means we have to be dependent on facts. Next question, how can we discern whether someone suffering from a transgender identity, parentheses, gender dysphoria, is struggling with mental illness, a physical disorder between the brain and the body present since birth, or a spiritual identity issue? These seem like real possibilities to me. Okay, that's, that is a good question. It is a con, it's, it's a question that comes from confusion that is pervaded in our culture from National Geographic to Time Magazine to Twitter. Um, and here is what I would say. I would start with the fact that the Bible tells us that men are men and women are women. Uh, and that fact is grounded in the creation. So Genesis 1:27, um, we're going to make man in our image. We're going to make them male and female. So gender, this is this is amazing. It's uh, it's it's shocking and revolutionary to us today in a way that it wouldn't have been even 15 years ago. But you can tell, according to the scripture, if someone is a man or a woman by looking at their body. 
and we've made this so confused and so confusing because we only because we've departed from a biblical worldview. But the Bible does not understand a man who does not have the body of a man or a woman who does not have the body of a woman. Now, the question references brain sex theory. Um, oh, I don't have time. We've got five minutes left. I don't have time to explain uh, the problems with brain sex theory, but there are six really, really big problems with brain sex, brain science theory of uh, the gender issue. Uh, and if you, um, if you want to know it, then take my class on gender, marriage, and sexuality at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which I think is coming next summer uh, again. But it doesn't work, and it doesn't work for reasons that many of the brain scientists say it can't work. Um, here's one reason, because I can imagine what's happening over there. Uh, here's just one reason why brain science can't I'm work. I'm doing all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's, here's just one reason why brain science can't work. So the brain science theory teaches that what happened with transgender persons is because, um, and here we go, we'll just have to, have to do this here. Uh, uh, genitals, so the physical characteristics of uh, genitals form uh, later in the development process in utero than the uh, areas of the brain that control that. And so there was a hormone problem between the development of the brain functionality for gender and the actual outward reproductive um, uh, anatomy for gender. And so what people will say is that the anatomy doesn't match the brain stamp. Here's the problem with that is what, what we call secondary sex characteristics or secondary characteristics of gender. A secondary characteristic of gender is a characteristic of gender that is not reproductive. So men have larger hands than women do. Men have a prostate and women don't. You guys know this? Okay. Um, <laughs> men have an Adam's apple and women don't. Every transgender uh, female, so that is a man who is trying to become a woman, doesn't just have male genitalia, they also have big hands and they have Adam's apples and they have prostates. How does that make sense if the brain science theory is correct? So also, as this happens all the time to us in biblical counseling, we drop off the word theory and we make it fact and we run with it and that's too bad. So what, what we're left with is you have um, men who are men and women who are women and we tell that by their body parts. Uh, and this is not a confusing reality. And so someone who internally does not like what they physically are should depend on Jesus for help to change and they should repent and grow in the grace of sanctification to be different. Um, there is also the category of intersex where in a fallen world. We got a question about that. Okay. Yep. So there's also the category of intersex where in, in a fallen world, this isn't a Genesis 1 world, it's a Genesis 3 world where the outward anatomy is is broken and is damaged and it's very hard to sometimes tell what's going on there. Uh, I actually think, uh, and we were very careful about this when we drafted the Nashville Statement, you can go to uh, cbmw.org if you wanna read the Nashville Statement, uh, but I actually believe that Jesus talks about the category of intersex in Matthew 19 when he talks about eunuchs who have been so from birth. So Jesus acknowledges uh, that there is a category of people who are broken physically because we live in a fallen world and we're waiting the redemption of our bodies. We have one minute left. <laughs> what is the topic of next year's annual conference? Oh, come on. That was me. I did that. You Sorry. asked me a question you know I'm not going to answer. But I will answer it tomorrow. Um, so uh, tomorrow at ACBC, we have Keith Palmer uh, kicking us off in the morning. You can watch that on the live stream if you're somewhere other than here. Uh, and then you, you want to stick around because we'll have breakout sessions. Uh, and then in the afternoon, Jim Neuheiser uh, will be giving our closing message. And I'm really looking forward to that. And then as is our custom, uh, after Dr. Neuheiser is done, we will do the big reveal on next year's topic and location. And I think everybody's going to be really excited about it. It's going to be very different than this year. 
Not, here's why you should be a Christian counselor. (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing that. Uh, But it's gonna be a very, very different topic this year and I think you're gonna be excited to find out what it is. It's all, after we get through all the hard stuff, it's always the thing I just can't wait for. So I think you're gonna be stoked. How can people listen to this podcast on a weekly basis? They can listen to this podcast on a weekly, I don't know, how can they? (laughs) How they listen to this? I don't listen to it. They can uh, (laughs) subscribe to it on podcasts app in their phone and they can also go to our website and then there's a tab under resources that says truth and love so it's uh it's available also on soundcloud as well i do know this because i say it every week if you would like more information about acbc then you can find us at biblicalcounseling.com